You are now listening to the Cruise Control Podcast here on SoundCloud and iTunes. I am your host, Randy Cruz. You can follow me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. Hey, welcome to a new edition of Two Out of Three Falls here on the Cruise Control Podcast. I am your host, Randy Cruz. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. Thursday, November 9th, 2017, and I'm joined by Mr. Graham Matthews, featured WWE columnist for Bleacher Report. He's on Twitter at WrestleRant, and he's also the host of WrestleRant Radio. Graham, what's up, my man? How you doing? Doing great as always, Randy. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Can't complain. A, 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 a lot of things happening in the world of wrestling the last couple of days or a week, week and a half. Um, we have a new world champion on SmackDown. We have Triple H being a, a, a honorary member of the Shield. We have Jericho and Omega going at it at Wrestle Kingdom 12. Um, rapper Puff Daddy calling himself Brother Love. It's a long week in wrestling, man. <laughs> I would say so. I saw your tweet from earlier with the little fire emojis. I would absolutely say this week in wrestling has been lit. Uh, the very definition of a lead this week in wrestling has been, and it's only Thursday. Who knows what could happen by Sunday? Who knows? Exactly, and um, you know, we, and of course, we have Survivor Series coming up. I think in a week and a half, uh, but getting getting down to the you know nitty gritty with that, with I think seven matches on the car. We have the uh, the the Ric Flair documentary aired on ESPN t- uh, two nights ago. And today marks the 20th anniversary of the Montreal School Job at Survivor Series 1997 between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. So there's a lot, a lot to talk about. So I don't want to waste your time. But uh, before we get to Montreal, I think I, I'll put that at the end. Uh, we have a new world champion, AJ Styles. He beat Jinder Mahal on SmackDown, even though everybody in the world knew hours beforehand because they were in in England in, in, a, in a tape delay. So. I got to ask you, one, how shocked were you that the belt changed hands on SmackDown prior to a, a major pay-per-view, that the match was Jinder and Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series, and from the moment that it was announced, I, we have no idea whether fans just did not want that match to happen. The company just kind of changed gears to put the belt on AJ what was your thoughts on one AJ winning the belt and two now him going into Survivor Series against Brock Lesnar and not Jinder Mahal? Well, I hope it's AJ Styles. I mean, of course, currently it is AJ versus Brock at the pay per view. But if you told me a week ago, two weeks ago, whatever, when the champion versus champion match was announced, I did not think AJ would walk into Survivor Series as champion after winning the belt on a random SmackDown. I mean, it was cool for him to win it on SmackDown. I'm not complaining. I thought it was an amazing moment. Right. Um, it did. Not really, I don't want to say take away from it, because like you said, that people knew hours ahead of time because the show was taped overseas in England. Um, so it would have been cool for the air to this coming Tuesday or last week, so it was live and packed more of a punch, but people tuned in anyway to see him win the championship, because this has been a long time coming. Jinder Mahal, believe it or not, has been champion for six months now, which is, feels wow. like an eternity. Um, but thankfully it's over, albeit for a few weeks. I am of the mindset they will put the belt right back on Jinder. Maybe not this Tuesday, which would awful. Um, at the very least, hold out before, right before Indian Tour, which is reportedly the whole reason why they put the belt on gender to begin with. 
for him to walk into the tour as champion or at least win the championship there or some sort of, you know, some some sort of fashion like that. Um, but I do think AJ versus Brock is absolutely, undoubtedly, 100% a bigger, much more compelling match as the main event for Survivor Series. Yeah, they've been building up Jinder and Brock, their promos and whatever, and that all goes out the window this match. But who cares? I mean, a lot of the matches on this show have very little build. We just got new Raw Tag Team Champions Crown, too. So any build we got for S.H.I.E.L.D. and Usos at the pay-per-view yeah. is also out the window. But, again, whether the Raw versus SmackDown feud means anything or not, AJ and Brock, from a fan standpoint, is a big match we've never gotten before, and we very likely may never get again, especially if Brock doesn't re-sign in the, in, in the springtime. This may be our only one opportunity to get this match on a big stage like Survivor Series. I do not expect AJ to win. I don't think he should win, but it should be a great match. I was very shocked. Regardless of what the reason was, I was very happy about it. Now, a few things. Now, going forward, with Survivor Series coming up and going forward into the Rumble and, and things like that, one, what do they do with Jinder going forward? And two, there has to be some bigger reason why Jinder dropped the belt to AJ um, on Tuesday on SmackDown where where originally, again, it was Jinder and Brock. Now we get AJ. Maybe was it because that AJ did Raw a favor for flying from wherever he was to kind of uh, take the spot uh, of Bray Wyatt on, on, on a on a pay-per-view the night before and then taking the L to Finn Balor. Maybe this was a big, a, 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 rec- uh, a favor back to him. But I think aside from that, w- what else can be the reason or reasons why that gender um, had to drop the belt to AJ on Tuesday? And also where, where do they go f- uh, from here with, with gender? I did hear that rumor as well that it was a reward for AJ for traveling so much between, I think it was South America or something like that, or I think it was Chile, uh, where he traveled from to get to the TLC pay-per-view, to the Raw show a couple weeks back. So uh, it's a decent reason. I doubt it's the only reason. I had read something the other day that ratings also contributed to it because Mm -hmm. of a low rating for SmackDown on Halloween night, which sounds ridiculous. First of all, it's one night. I I doubt one rating would prompt them to change the title in one week's time. Second of all, it was Halloween, so obviously ratings are going to be down. And three, ratings have been down for SmackDown for the past six months with this guy's WWE champion. So if they were going to change the title, why now? Like, that's my question. And another reason would be, oh, it's not like, you know, he, he isn't working as WWE champion. Jinder Mahal experiment, which he said it was not on his Instagram page, but it absolutely was an experiment, it's not working. Um, I know there was speculation that he failed the drug test, that he's hurt. He said that he's not. He has not failed the drug test. Um, obviously, I mean, he wouldn't say that he did, but he also wouldn't deny it if he did, so I'm not really sure what's going on there. Uh, that being said, though, if the, experiment, if the experiment wasn't working a few months ago, they would have kept him as champion for this long. Like, they would have had Shinsuke Nakamura beat him, I would assume, at Hell in the Cell. He didn't. Um, so now that we have, you know, we had Jinder as champion for a few weeks after that, Oh no, they must. I, the only thing that comes to mind for me is they do have faith in Jinder to be still be champion beyond this at some point. Like, where does he go from here? You ask. I would imagine he does win back the championship either on the Indian tour before the Indian tour or on the SmackDown pay per view coming up in Boston on December seventeenth, right after Survivor Series. Um, just because they've invested so much in Jinder, I'd be surprised. I mean, it would be unfortunate if he does win the belt back, but I would be surprised if he didn't because they've kept champion for so long. 
And then going forward, I know there's rumors of a Jinder Mahal John Cena match at WrestleMania, which was which does not interest me in the slightest whatsoever. Um, but at the very least, with AJ Styles becoming champion, they must have known the only reason that makes sense to me is because they knew the only way to get people more excited about this very dull show on paper was to put the belt on AJ and give us AJ and Brock. Because Jinder and Brock, despite the buildup and all the promos, no one cared. The match would have been bad. It was a lose-lose situation. AJ can take a loss to Brock. Um, so I think it makes for a way better main event and a way better show overall come Survivor Series. So overall, you feel like, you know, uh, you know, with Jinder losing, that he'll... I mean, I guess he won't be on the Survivor Series card now, right? Currently, he's not. That's that's the other weird thing. Like, I figured that he would drop the title. And if he, I mean, they didn't announce the fifth man until Wednesday. So after he dropped the championship, I'm thinking, okay, maybe next week he comes out, he wants a rematch, and Shane puts him on Team SmackDown. But now we know it's going to John Cena. And that's a whole other issue. I mean, it's cool Cena's going to be back in time for the show. But why he's teaming with SmackDown and not Raw, where mm-hmm. we last saw him, I have no idea. So currently, yes, he's not a part of the card. And if they switch the belt back to Mahal on Tuesday, then AJ's not a part of the card. And I would assume age is a much more, he's a bigger priority to WWE than, uh, than Jinder Mahal is. So, yeah, as of right mm-hmm. now, he's not in the show, which is a bit bizarre. And maybe Jinder can win the, uh, the title back at the SmackDown pay-per-view you mentioned in, in December, which is Clash, Clash of Champions. So maybe they'll have the rematch there. And also, real quick, I'm, you know, maybe they feel like having a, a it, you know, the fans want AJ and Brock to go at it. And it's a non-title champion versus champion. So maybe the company felt like, all right, we can put Brock and AJ together uh, where neither belt is up for grabs. And if AJ was to lose, it's not a big deal. Or, like, you know, let's say Brock was to lose. It's not a big deal because it's not for the title. Where if, if gender was to beat Brock, everybody's, you know, losing their freaking minds. And if Brock beats gender everybody's going to be like, well, you know, we all kind of knew that. So now you have a match where, you know, it can go either way, but regardless of who wins and loses, they both come out looking good at the end. Absolutely. And the match itself should be great. I mean, like you said, if Jinder lost, the guy's been unstoppable for six months. Now you have him lose to Brock. It's like, what was the point? And you can't have Jinder beat Brock. It'd be complete insanity. Like you said, um, I think this results in a much better outcome. I mean, AJ Styles is the guy that can lose to pretty much anybody. The guy lost to Dolph Ziggler, of all people, a few months ago on SmackDown. No one remembers it because Ziggler means nothing, but the point I'm trying to make is that the guy can lose to anyone and still be over. The reaction he got on Tuesday was unreal from that England crowd. So uh, it's a win-win. Like I said, with Jinder and Brock, it was a lose-lose. I doubt AJ beats Brock. Um, I don't think he should beat Brock anyway. It would be cool if he did. But um, I think Brock winning is almost a guarantee. But the match itself should be great. And Brock has had, you know, his matches this year have been hit or miss. I thought the Goldberg match was great at WrestleMania for what it was. The Samoa Joe match, for as long as it lasted, was really, really good. The main event at SummerSlam was awesome. The uh, Braun Strowman match was, was all right. It was kind of disappointing. But I think if anyone can get a great match out of Brock Lesnar, it's AJ Styles. He brings, to me, a CM Punk vibe that he did at SummerSlam 2013 a few years ago. We rarely ever see Brock Lesnar up against someone that's smaller than him, with the exception of maybe Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, too. But beyond that, no one has ever really gotten that amazing match out of Brock in recent years, and I think AJ Styles is the guy to do it. Speaking of Survivor Series, again, you know, I know me and you, we, we usually do our, our you know recap and preview, uh, so that'll be next week. But it seems like the card is shaping, shaping into form with, with some of the matches and some of the teams 
going into Survivor Series. So obviously we have for now we got Brock and AJ. Uh, we have new tag champions uh, again with Sheamus and Cesaro, and it looks like they'll go up against the Usos. So it won't be the Shield. Real quick, let me stop on that. Were you surprised that the Shield dropped the belt to Cesaro and Sheamus? I was surprised about that. I heard the spoiler, much like everyone else, that they had dropped the championship earlier on a day at the Raw tapings in England, which I thought was a bit dumb. Like, why would you do that? The guys have only been champions for a few months, and a lot of people were only really looking forward to Shield and Usos on that show. Um, but I like the move, actually. I might be in the minority in saying this, but I like the move a lot. First of all, Sheamus and Cesaro were an awesome tag team. That's really no, uh, that, that's a no-brainer. But not only that, Cesaro and Sheamus versus the Usos, should be every bit as good, if not even better, than Usos versus Shield. Uh, Cesaro and Sheamus and Usos, they closed out last year's tag team elimination match at Survivor Series. That was one of the best parts of that entire show. And I think uh, a full-on match between the two teams, despite the fact it's two heel tag teams, it doesn't really matter. It should be a great match. And also, it leads to a match with the Shield and the New Day, which is when the New Day caught the Shield championships, which people didn't really know when they announced that the titles changed hands. And I don't think New Day versus The Shield is a Shield versus Wyatt Family level dream match, mm-hmm. but it could be a really, really good match. It gets New Day on the card, The Shield is back together, and it's even a better way to get The Shield reunited for the first time in five years or three or four years or whatever it is than it would have been a TLC. Like a TLC was going to be The Shield versus five guys in a train wreck of a TLC match. Mm-hmm. Here, it's a standard three-on-three tag team match. I mean, I would assume. I don't think they're going to add elimination stipulation. Um, it would be a third three-on-three tag team match and they wrestle at the same show they debuted at five years ago. Like, the storytelling there is perfect. Like, it's almost a blessing in disguise that Roman got sick and got taken out of that match at DLC, because I think it works out a lot better this way. So I'm a big fan of the title change, and who's to say they can't win the belts back at the Survivor Series anyway? Okay, so you're saying that, you know, in, you know, in the event that uh, they put the Shield and the New Day um, at Survivor Series, It'll be three on three, not not two on two, right? Yeah, I mean Roman is due back on Monday's Raw. Okay, I it's something earlier. I mean, you take everything for what it's worth. But mm-hmm. I had read something that said that Roman was clear to compete. So right. otherwise, why would you bring him back to Raw if he wasn't going to wrestle? So he will be back Monday, and I assume it will be all three members of New Day versus all three members of Shield, as it should be. All right, so that that potential match. The tag team title, not, well, not tag team title match, but Raw versus SmackDown uh, tag champions, Brock and AJ. We also have uh, The Miz and Baron Corbin, but they say Baron Corbin or Sin Cara. Uh, I don't want to see Sin Cara against The Miz. I, I, prefer, I, I prefer The Miz and Baron Corbin. Um, I know, this, I know this, this, ain't, this ain't the preview show, but uh, I, I think you prefer Miz and Corbin, right? Not Miz and Sin Cara. Yeah, I mean, even Miz and Corbin on paper doesn't sound too good, but if you uh-huh. see the videos that I have on Twitter of Aaron Corbin and Miz going back and forth, it seems pretty entertaining. I don't think it's going to result in a great match at all, but Aaron Corbin, despite the fact he's been losing a lot recently, despite the fact he's United States champion, mm-hmm. is a lot better of an option than Sin Cara, a guy who has meant nothing for years. That feels like a, a superstars-level match right there, so I'd much rather have Miz and Corbin, yes. Speaking of the Miz, Graham, I know we, we, we've always mentioned this, but it, if The Miz did not get traded to Raw, and then, you know, I'm all for gender and uh, the Maharaja stuff, but, you know, if that don't happen and The Miz remains on SmackDown, Miz could have been 
the champion and could have had a long run. If Jinder Mahal could have the belt for six months, I'm pretty sure the Miz could have had it for the same amount of time or even longer. And to me, I again, he's one one of the greatest intercontinental champions of all time. But I, I, I get the feeling like at some point in time, man, I wish he can get that, that title run, whether for Universal or, or, or the title on SmackDown. But, you know, a, a, a great talent. But at some point, you want to see the Miz be world champion, am I right? I agree. I mean, I've been the biggest, I've been the biggest Miz supporter for a long time. Now, well before being a Miz fan was school, long before that, and I was a fan of his first world title run. But I think now is as good of a time as ever to put the championship on him. Maybe not the universal title, but like you said, this spot that Jinder had been in for six months now could have been the Miz, and he could have had a lot better matches and promos. And SmackDown would be in a way, be- way better place. And that's not to discredit what he's done as Intercontinental Champion. His Raw run has been a lot better than I thought it would be. He's gotten a lot of focus being into pay-per-views. He's been the IC Champion for almost five months now. Uh, but I think the next time we get a draft, whether it's after WrestleMania next year or any point before that, mm-hmm. he should go back to SmackDown. They have good heels over there. You know, they have Owens and Zayn and Corbin and Jinder is whatever. But this can be that guy. Like you said, I think he could get a world title run on Raw, but not at any point in the next six months while uh, Brock Lesnar is still there, and he's still a universal champion. And you know when Roman beats Brock, the Miz is not beating Roman for that belt. So I think Miz's chances of becoming champion are way higher on SmackDown, and he can really own that show like he was around this time a year ago, only as WWE champion this time around. We also have uh, Alexa Bliss against uh, SmackDown Women's Champion Natalia or Charlotte. I guess they're going to have a... A match on Tuesday to, to, to determine who would fight Alexa. I, I okay. Do you think they'll go with Charlotte or uh, Natalia against Alexa at Survivor Series? I mean, honestly, I think they might put the belt on Charlotte. I mean, I thought they would wait until the Starcade pay per view, which I think is after Survivor Series. It's Saturday afterward. But SmackDown on Tuesday is in Charlotte, North Carolina. I think that's the hometown of Charlotte mm-hmm. there. So they could put the belt on there. And also, it's a way better match. Put belt on Charlotte. You get Charlotte and Alexa Bliss, which is way much more you know, exciting and compelling than just you know Alexa Bliss versus Natalia. So I think after what they did with the world and the tag titles, it would not surprise me at all. And in fact, I do prove it's going to be Charlotte winning the belt on Tuesday, then going on to face Alexa, the Survivor Series pay-per-view that weekend. Okay, and then we have... The Team Raw, Team SmackDown for the women, uh, Alicia Fox, Nia Jax, Asuka, Sasha, and TBA against Becky Lynch, Carmella, Charlotte, or oh, I guess Charlotte for, for now, uh, Naomi, and Tamina. Um, so I'm guessing Natalia or Charlotte will be on Team SmackDown, and Natalia or Charlotte will go up against Alexa, right? I would assume so. I mean, as of right now, I mean, Charlotte isn't even the team member. She's not even the captain of her team. So I would assume they'll <laughs> probably just take her off the team and then put her in the SmackDown title match or mm-hmm. in the match, you know, representing the SmackDown champion against Alexa Bliss. So, yeah, that's what I assume the plan is. Yep. Okay, so this this TBA between, uh, for Team Raw on, on, on the women's side, who's – uh, who are the participants trying to get that final spot? It, uh, it was um, Dana and um, Mickey James, right? Yeah, so it's Dana, Mickey, and Bailey in the triple threat Ooh. on Monday. And I mean, obviously, Bailey's going to win. I had, ho- I had hoped, I just tweeted last night, and obviously, they announced this. It's no more than 24 hours later. 
Um, but I was hoping that it would be Paige. Now, of course, that would leave Bailey off the mm, show. Okay. But, I mean, Paige is due back any time now. I assume she's going to SmackDown. She is currently a part of the Raw brand, technically. But that didn't stop them from putting Kane on Raw when he was a part of SmackDown previously. But at any rate, um, I thought it might have been Paige. And maybe they do a swerve where Bailey wins the match and Alicia Fox says, oh, you know, I was just kidding. I want Paige instead. Uh, but she might be just brought back after the pay-per-view. But, yeah, I would assume it's going to be Bailey winning that triple threat on Monday, though. Oh, you mean uh, oh, you mean the the new NXT call up Kane who beat Seth and Finn, Finn Balor back to back weeks? That guy, <laughs> uh, the, the new call up. <laughs> oh my god! And and look at that they 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 bring him back. He he beats Seth, and you know I I really don't care. He beats Seth, he beats Finn, and he's nowhere on the Survivor Series card. Exactly. This this company, it's like nothing ever matters with them. They push these guys. I'm not saying that Kane should be pushed anyway. Like, that's what bothered me about this. They're only pushing him so he can get beat by Braun Strowman. A match that's not even going to happen at this freaking pay-per-view. So what's even the point? So it's it's completely ridiculous. Who needs Paige more, Raw or SmackDown? That's what I mean. I mean, I think it's going to be SmackDown. Um, I mean, Raw, they just got Oscar. So that's the thing. I know they just got rid of Emma and Summer Rae, but Summer Rae was never even on the show, and Emma was a glorified jobber. Um, so they have a few good things going on Raw. They have Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Bailey, and Sasha Banks. SmackDown needs her more. I mean, the, uh, the SmackDown women's team, they have the talent. It's just that since the, uh, the shake-up, the draft, whatever you want to call it, their women's division has just been abysmal. Like, again, they have good wrestlers, but no one gets focused. Like, at this time last year, I was praising the division because they got stories and they had singular feuds and they had more than one feud that wasn't over the championship. But now it's all these freaking multi-women matches that mean nothing. Not, nothing ever means anything of importance on SmackDown with women anymore, unfortunately. Um, so that being said, I think Paige is much more needed on SmackDown. And maybe we see Paige versus, if Natalia retains, Paige versus Natalia for the championship at some point in the near future, would be, which would be pretty cool. And then we have Enzo and Callisto. Uh, I, I know you're a big Callisto guy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, let me see. I think this is the only match that is for a title. So at least we have a, a, a championship match. The, the Cruiserweight Championship, Enzo and Callisto, are you excited for that? No. I mean, I don't think anyone's excited for that just because we just saw the match with TLC. True. And it really wasn't that good. They had a rematch on 205 Live the very next day or two days later which also wasn't that good. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with these guys. No one cares. They're going to keep the belt on Enzo. Everyone already knows that. It's just, it's, the Cruiserweight division is just sad at this point. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I think Enzo has, has put some life into the Cruiserweight division. Someone like me who's, you know, been on, on, on and off as a fan, more off. But um, he did have the Cruiserweight segment going on last for, for a couple Raws. And we, I, I assume... Neville is no longer no longer with the company, right? I mean, officially, technically, he is because okay. he's still under contract, and they haven't said anything about about him oh, being released. Uh, but I don't think he's coming back. I think it's a situation similar to Ryback, where he walked out, and then um, damn, and then he wasn't released until his contract was up, like three or four months later. So I think they'll probably release him when his contract is up. Mm-hmm. When that is, though, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, well, I mean. I like Neville. Hopefully, he'll he'll come back and you know do his thing. Uh, Team Raw, Team SmackDown for the men's side. Before we get into who's involved, let's talk about who's not involved. Uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, you know people like them. 
um, Dolph Ziggler. I think Bray Wyatt is still hurt, sick, or something like that. Uh, Roman Reigns would not be involved. So those guys, I think, obviously, the 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 the, the two big guys we're talking about, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Are you surprised that they're not involved in the Survivor Series uh, match, or or you think it's just because of storyline? Because the team captain of SmackDown is Shane McMahon, and for uh, for storyline purposes, it makes sense for him not to tag with KO and Sami Zayn. Or is there a a different, bigger reason why they're not involved on the entire card? Yeah, with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, I would imagine it's definitely for the better that they're not on the team. Because, like you said, it would make no sense that they were on the same team as the guy who just who KO just beat in the main event of a pay per view no more than a month ago. Like I said a couple minutes ago, nothing ever matters in this company because there's no storyline consistency more often than not, especially more recently, uh, more lately than ever. But uh, at least with this storyline, it makes sense. And with these two, they're rebels. They want to you know, prove a point to the system, to the SmackDown officials, Daniel Bryan and specifically Shane, that they're better than what the blue brand is offering them. So going forward, I would imagine that they'll cost the team the victory. And Angle, which had been, you know, I think Stephanie had said it when she returned to Raw a few weeks ago, um, if Kurt loses for Team Raw, then he gets fired as general manager, which shouldn't happen anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So I would hope that Team Raw wins by having SmackDown lose, and SmackDown won last year anyway, so it's okay. Right. Um, so you have Kevin Owens and Sting toss, and maybe from there they get a tag and or something. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wish KO and Sami Zayn were, were involved somehow. Um, I doubt. It's a legit thing. Um, that wasn't a work, so I'm not sure if that affects anything, but um, if they are good to go and they're back by Tuesday SmackDown and they face off with New Day and, that, and they and they face off with New Day in that scheduled match, I do assume they'll be at Survivor Series and cost Team SmackDown the match against Team Raw. I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, somehow I would I, I would want to have KO and Sami Zayn somehow involved. They can cost SmackDown the the victory. Cause like you said earlier, SmackDown won last year, Raw could win this year, be tied up one one and do it next year. Um we all knew like a guy like Dolph wasn't gonna be involved in the match. could could Bray Wyatt been uh, involved for Raw if he didn't get hurt or sick wherever it was. We knew Roman was gonna be involved somehow, but um but then you have Kurt Angle, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, Jason Jordan, and on SmackDown you got Shane Orton, Bobby Roode, Nakamura, John Cena. Still, still not a bad lineup for a five-on-five match, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you look at that team right there; it's freaking stacked. Like you said, Orton, Cena, Nakamura, Roode, and Shane McMahon—that's like a dream team right there. And Raw isn't slacking either with Jason Jordan, Braun Strowman. Uh, who else is on the team? Finn Balor. Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle. That's that's a star-studded matchup and a potential matchups we could see with Bobby Roode and Kurt Angle, Finn Balor and Randy Orton and all these other dream you know fantasy booking scenarios is unreal. So although like I said earlier, the Raw versus SmackDown rivalry to me, in my opinion, is essentially non-existent. The match itself should be really really good. But how much of Kurt Angle are we gonna get? Are we gonna get like what he did with the Shield and do do a couple bumps and do you know? Stuff like that, or are we gonna get somewhere near of like the old school Kurt Angle? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, we got that at the end of the TLC match, but like you said, he was very limited. He yeah. spent a majority of that match out of it when he was taken out by Braun Strowman, and then he didn't come back until like the final five minutes or so. Um, to be honest with you, I think that Kurt probably won't be too heavily involved in this match. There's ten people involved, 
So I don't think they'll rely on him too much, as much as we want them to. But that said, though, you never really know. Because you look at last year's match, Shane was also involved in that one. He was in the match more than probably anyone for Team SmackDown, when he probably shouldn't have been. He didn't look all that good. He was gassed, like, halfway through. And the only reason he was eliminated was because he almost got killed by a spear by Roman Reigns. So uh, you never really know with these people, because Shane just did a 38-minute main event at Hell in a Cell. So um, I would like to see more of Kurt. I don't think we will, but there's a good chance we might, though, considering they uh, had done something similar with Shane last year. Now, does this lead to a possible Kurt Angle with Shane McMahon program maybe at WrestleMania? Or do you think that at the Survivor Series, the thing with Kurt Angle and Shane and back and forth is pretty much done? Or do you, or do you think they go further than that? You know, I think it's done at Survivor Series. I mean, I thought there was a chance that they, had, they were going to manage their own teams, not be on the teams, and maybe that would lead to a match at the Rumble. Maybe not WrestleMania, but obviously they're on the teams. They'll probably just blow it off here because the only reason, again, they're doing this match is for Raw and SmackDown. And unless they want to continue, have the two brands continue feuding, heading into the Rumble, I don't think they'll continue it, which, I mean, a match between the two could be fun, but I think this is perfect. Because if you have a one-on-one match between the two, it's a real, there's a real good chance it could be hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Like, it could be really, really good. And I know their previous match, which was an instant classic at King of the Ring, was in 2001. And Shane McMahon is not the Shane of old, neither is Kurt Angle. Nope. Um, so it could be really, really bad or really, really good. So I think we could get a good preview of what to expect when you have eight other young guys involved at Survivor Series, and it's not just them. So I think the ends here, um, it obviously will lead to Kurt Angle wrestling again, whether it be in the Rumble match, or I would imagine a match of Mania, which has been rumored for a while now, with Triple H. It won't have anything to do with Shane, um, but I do think that what we saw from Kurt and Stephanie a few weeks ago will lead to some sort of program between Kurt and Triple H come WrestleMania 34. Oh, you mean Triple H one-third, uh, one-fourth of the Shield now? <laughs> exactly. between Or one-fifth, I guess, if you count Roman, Dean, Seth, Kurt, and Triple H. Yeah, he's a member of the Shield, apparently. Oh, my God. Now, before I, before I go back to Raw and SmackDown, when you saw a Triple H... Um, I, I guess it was overseas at, at a live event, and... You as a fan and someone who writes, you know, you know, for the company and, you know, for Bleacher Report and everything, when you see Triple H part of the shield, does in your mind say, oh, well, okay, all the storylines are over. You know, Steph and, I mean, Steph and Hunter hating each other and they fought at WrestleMania last year and it's, uh, Dean and Hunter the year before. And we all know how Hunter and, and, and Roman Reigns went at it years ago. But, like, now that's just, that's just out the window to give the fans – uh, a, a treat. Are you, were you kind of like upset that he was part of that or more like, hey, you know, it is what it is? Yeah, when I saw that, it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's kind of dumb because, like you said, only no more than six months ago did Seth and Triple H hate each other and their feud hang, heading into WrestleMania. So it is kind of dumb, but thankfully, I mean, it would have been a lot worse if it was on TV. Like, it's only a house show. Yeah. You know, they played it up on dot com and shit, like, whatever. But it's been that way for such a long time. Well, they'll do stuff on house shows that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but it's a house show, so, like, whatever. And it's cool that Triple H wrestled at all because they needed a star power. Roman got hurt. They didn't have him on the European tour. Um, They needed someone to fill in, so they put Triple H in there. So I was fine with it. It is one of those things, like, I wouldn't want to see it on TV, obviously, but it didn't bother me too much. Now, going back to Raw and SmackDown at Survivor Series. Now, you know, we all know SmackDown is the land of opportunity, but uh, are you of the mindset that says that you look at that SmackDown roster 
and here, you know, yeah, land of opportunity. But Shane is 47, Orton's 37, Bobby Roode is 40, John Cena is 40. And the youngest guy is Nakamura. When you look on the other side, Braun's still pretty young, Ballas still young, Samoa Joe. I, I mean, I don't know how I don't know how old he is. Jason Jordan young. Are you more like on the mindset that, you know, SmackDown could have got some younger guys like KO, Sami Zayn, Rusev, Ziggler on their roster as opposed to you know, the old veterans of, of Orton, Shane, Cena, and Rude is, is a veteran by age, but not by SmackDown standards. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I mean, by age, Rude and Nakamura are pretty old by WWE standards um, at almost 40 or over 40, whatever, close to 40. But yeah, they just arrived earlier this year, so yeah, they're Nakamura becoming 37. stars on their own. But as for Cena, Orton, and Shane, these guys have been in the company for 10, 15 years now, maybe even more than that some cases, but uh, it, it, again, it doesn't bother me too much because they need as much star power as possible. Um, like, would it, would it have been cool to see Rusev in the match? Sure, but if you had a choice between Rusev and John Cena, like, who are you going to go with? But like you said, could they have put KO and Sammy on the brand, on the uh, on the SmackDown, Team SmackDown, whatever, for Survivor Series? Yeah, but like you said earlier, it would not have made any sense just because these guys hate Shane McMahon, mm-hmm. and so why would he, like, represent him in the show, they don't really give a shit about. So uh, it doesn't really matter too much to me, and I think they will make their presence felt one way or another as long as we're not still suspended by then. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't really bother me too, too much. But I think I would like to see more fresh faces towards the top of the card on SmackDown, like a Baron Corbin. And I mean, they've been pushing Jinder. I mean, say what you will about the guy and how much he might blow in the ring or whatever, but um, he's still a fresh face uh, for the most part, and they tried pushing him. So it really is a land of opportunity in that respect. But, yeah, again, it doesn't really bother me too much, but um, I, I do imagine we will say KO and Sammy in some sort of form or fashion in the pay-per-view either way. And Nakamura is 37. I, I did not even know that until I just looked it up. So basically everybody on SmackDown roster on the Survivor Series SmackDown team is 35 and up. Pretty much. I mean, but at the same time, though, they're not young, but – um. I mean, like we had mentioned, Rude and Nakamura are still young under their WWE main roster runs. Right. But you've got to go back to like 10 years ago. I mean, this isn't like, um, this isn't the first time they've done stuff like this. For a long time there, in like 2008, 2009, they were still really heavily relying on guys like Chris Jericho, Edge, Triple H, Shawn, Shawn Michaels, Michaels, John yeah. Cena. They're all great. But they were all in like their late 30s, 40s by that point. Undertaker, and they, yeah. they were using those guys every single year, and they had been there for a long-ass time. Mm-hmm. At least Rudy Nakamura is still fresh. I mean, they're up there in age, but they're great, and they have a bright future ahead of them. I mean, years ago, they would rely on those guys for a long-ass time, and the reason why all those guys retired, they had to rely on guys like Sheamus and Drew McIntyre, who didn't mm-hmm. get over at the time, right. stuff like that, and they just had this awful phase with guys like Jack Swagger that they try to shove down our throats that just went nowhere. So at least they're trying to, you know, they're finally getting a hand up. Uh, you know, they're trying to figure out where these new stars kind of fit into the roster um, despite how old they might be. Even if they didn't make these stars themselves. I mean, Rude comes from TNA. Nakamura comes from New Japan. But at least they're trying to push new stars even if they didn't create them themselves. So yeah, I know we, we just went through the whole Survivor Series card. Uh, but next week we'll do we'll do the preview, and also for NXT War Games, which is the night before, correct? Yes, War Games Takeover Special is the night before. Yep. All right, so I know we'll we'll touch base on NXT War Games and Survivor Series 
we'll do the preview and all that for for next week. Um, but real quick, three three quick things. Um, did you get a chance, yes or no, to to see the Ric Flair documentary on ESPN? I did. I just watched it last night. I saw all the praise for it when it aired on Tuesday, and I could not wait to watch it. So I finally watched it yesterday, and I was blown away. Like the ESPN mm-hmm. thirty for thirties are always great. Um, but Ric Flair has such a great story from his background to his career to his family life. And they touched upon everything. Like, there really wasn't anything that they I – mean, there's a few things they could have maybe talked more about, but they mm. only have an hour, hour and a half right. for a guy that's been in the business for over 50 years. I mean, you kind of have to brush through some stuff. Like, it was a miracle at all. They talked about, like, Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair at Starcade in 1981. They could have, like, blew right through that. So they pretty much touched upon everything that was relevant, including – the death of his son and his retirement and work. They even showed TNA footage, which I didn't expect to see. Yeah. Incredible. Um, but yeah, the whole thing was great. It made me laugh. Came close to crying. The thing was super emotional, especially mm-hmm. at the end there with his, his son Reed after he died and his emotion. Rick Blair's quite the uh, emotional guy. But yeah, no, it was an amazing documentary. Well worth checking out a second time, let alone a first time. Was there anything in the documentary that surprise you, whether good or bad, that maybe you you did not know about Ric Flair or his career? Uh, good question. I'd have to really watch it back because I was just more so invested in, in how entertaining it was. Um, not really. I mean, some small stuff um, about his personal life. Like, I'd known he had been married four times, divorced four times, and all this other stuff. It was also cool they threw in the health update there, too. Um, during like a commercial break, because this was filmed way before he had his health issues a couple months ago. So it was cool they updated that. But beyond that, I know there was one thing I didn't know about him. Oh, that he was adopted. I did not know he was adopted. Um, yeah, maybe that was public. I mean, I'm sure it was public knowledge. But I personally did not know that. And I watched this documentary on the network that they uploaded like 10 years ago. And I saw it then, but I just completely forgot about that. And the plane crash is pretty well known. Like I said, the TNA footage and stuff like that was cool they touched upon. And the Shawn Michaels match. One thing that did surprise me about the documentary I was not expecting was how much Hulk Hogan put him over. Yeah. Hulk Hogan was like, I sucked compared to this guy. Like, I only oh, knew yeah, a few time. things, and he was, all, he was all right. Like, he knew everything. Like, everything he was saying was completely correct. But he was almost, like, verbally burying himself in favor of Ric Flair, which was just amazing to me, knowing the politician that Hulk Hogan can be. He was like, <laughs> I only knew a few moves compared to Ric Flair. Like, People call me the greatest of all time. Like, I'm nothing compared to Ric Flair. Like, the way he was putting him over was amazing. So, yeah. I thought that was really cool, and that definitely surprised me. Yeah, that part surprised me. And, you know, the story about how, like, they were supposed, they were supposed to fight at WrestleMania 8. I think, you know, majority of fans have known that. And that was supposed to be the main event. Uh, they went and did a double main event with Flair and Macho and then Sid and Hogan. And they kind of, you know... Test, test the waters on, on live events with Flair and Hogan and, and the story is they weren't getting you know a big crowd or maybe the match just wasn't gelling the, the chemistry wasn't there and somehow some way they said alright we're still going to uh, have you both in the main event but a, a, a double main event Macho and Flair and Sid and Hogan it turned out to be a, a decent Wrestlemania like, like Hogan said but you know what it could have been and and this is you know 1992 and they ultimately fought one on one in WCW in 94. But at that time, it's like man, what if Hogan and Flair went at it? You know, not even in 92. What about 89, 90? Because Flair Flair even said that he got contacted to to come there twice. 
and uh-huh. maybe I did not know that or you know fully, but uh, he did go there in '91. Um, could have been there twice. You never know. Like, just imagine Flair and Hogan in '86, Flair and Hogan in 1988 in the WWF. You know what could have been, but uh, they had their matches in WCW. Pretty cool. Um, not great, but pretty cool. And I, I think the one thing that surprised me was to see The Undertaker do a freaking live interview. <laughs> yeah, it's very rare character. with The Undertaker in that setting. He was just sitting there wearing a freaking beanie on his head, talking about Ric Flair. It was the funniest thing. I mean, we see stuff like this sometimes. I forgot what else he was in. Maybe, I think, Triple H's documentary they put out a couple years ago. But beyond yeah. that, we never yeah. see Undertaker and stuff like that. So it was really cool to see him out of character talking about Ric Flair like he's a god, and he is, in wrestling. Um, so, yeah, that was really cool. And I also didn't know about the WCW contracting either that you had mentioned. Or you said he was contacting like, 86, and 89, or 88, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. And you can only imagine the amount of matches he could have had with that roster in the late 80s as opposed to, I mean, he still had a great run for the year that he was there in 91, 92, 93. Yeah. Um, but it could have been even better had he been there five years earlier when he was still on his prime. So... Yeah, very, very good documentary of some stuff I definitely did not know ahead of time. And, of course, you know, they had to show the Royal Rumble from 92, which a lot of people say was the greatest Royal Rumble of all time. And, you know, we can do this a different day, but top three, top five, maybe one, that Royal Rumble in 92 went with, with Flair winning the, the, the title. Um, Graham, a lot of people have that as number one, and I think it's, I think it's very tough um, I don't remember who was in it aside from Hogan, Sid, and, and, and Flair. I know, I know some other key guys like DiBiase and stuff like that, but, you know, just got to check that roster of, of 30 of thirty men to see, you know, how competitive that Rumble was. But I think the moment of Flair, one, they were, the, the Rumble was for the title. Flair coming in, you got Hogan in there, and the winner becomes champion. I think just the moment itself catapulted that rumble to being maybe the greatest of all time. But um, I would love to, to go back and see which 30 people were in that rumble to kind of compare it. Is it the greatest rumble of all time? In my opinion, it is. I think it is, um, if not one of the greatest rumble ever was 92. I mean, you look at the star power in there, like you said, it's kind of hard to name off the top of your head who else was in there except for the people that were involved in the finish. But just like the booking of the rumble – the commentary, I mean, this was talked about a few months ago when Bobby Heenan passed away, and his commentary during that match was unreal. I mean, the guy's one of the greatest commentators of all time, but one of the greatest matches he ever commented, uh, commentated during during a WWE, during his you know WWE tenure, was the 1992 Royal Rumble. And the finish was great, and Flair won. Like you said, it was for the championship, which was unheard of at the time, and Hogan, Hogan didn't win, like uh, probably many people expected him to. So, yeah, everything about that match was near perfection. I know Roddy Piper was in it, even though he won the Intercontinental Championship earlier in the evening. Like, the story was, could he win two titles in the same night? They had a lot of stories in one rumble, which you don't really see nowadays. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you'll get a few cool stories here and there. Uh, but that 92 rumble was a loaded star power in stories. And it's cool that you can rewatch it whenever you want on the WWE Network, too. <sighs> Graham, you're going to make me do it. I just found the roster of 30 people who participated in that Royal Rumble. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Uh, you know, a couple, a couple Hall of Famers. I, I, I'll give you that. But, uh, and again, this is 92 before that whole new generation era. I think right at the beginning 
Um, anyway, British Bulldog, DiBiase, Ric Flair, Jerry Sags, Haku, Shawn Michaels, Tito Santana, The Barbarian, The Texas Tornado, Repo Man, Greg Valentine, Nikolai Volkov, Big Boss Man, Hercules, Roddy Piper, Jake Jake Roberts, uh, Jim Duggan, Irwin R. Scheister, Jimmy Snooker, um, The Undertaker, Randy Savage, The Berserker, ugh, Virgil, Colonel, Colonel Mustafa, Rick Martel, Hogan, Skinner, Sergeant Slaughter, Sid Justice, and The Warlord. Yeah. <laughs> That's a crazy roster. I think on it, I, I, I've got to look at, at it right in front of me, but I think more than half of those guys are Hall of Famers, which is amazing. Yeah, and plus the fact Ric Flair was in there for an hour. I think that mm, yeah, that's the world it. title is like, all right, now you yourself, you you have catapulted this Rumble to being the greatest of all time. But um, overall, I thought I thought it was a great documentary. One, it it felt good as a wrestling fan to see something about wrestling on ESPN. I know that they do sometimes. They cover their SummerSlams and, and WrestleManias and stuff like that. But to do a documentary, something more than, than a half hour, uh, I thought it was a great job by the uh, director, Rory Karp. Um and, and again, Ric Flair, if, you, if you're going to do a documentary on wrestling or somebody who wrestled, the only people I, I could think of are Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon, you know, Stone Cold, The Rock, those kind of guys. And I think he did a great job. It could have been two hours long. could have been longer than that. You can't really put everything about Flair in a freaking, you know, hour and a half. But for what it was worth and the hype and the build towards it, I, th- I thought it was great. I agree. Definitely one of the best documentaries I've seen in, uh, in recent memory, if not ever. I mean, it was really, really well done. The people they got for the interview, the way it was directed, the interview with Flair, um, with various shots, everything they covered, there really wasn't one thing like, oh, they didn't cover this, or they should have gone more in-depth with that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff they talked about that was great. Like you said, it could have been two hours, three hours yeah. longer than that, because uh, there's just so much on Ric Flair. Um, after uh, over 50-year-plus career in pro wrestling, and the guy's a freaking icon, both inside and outside of the ring. They talk about his personal life. they got his current girlfriend, his first wife. Um, there was a lot of cool stuff in there. So like you said, I mean, other wrestling documentaries they could do. I know they did one earlier this year. I don't know if it was – I don't think it was a 30 for 30. I think it might have been an E60. They did one in the XFL, which was also really, really good. Um, which could have been better, but it was also really good. They did one the NXT one a few years ago, uh, which I think was also an E60 special. That was great. Um, like you said, they don't do wrestling documentaries too often, but mm-hmm. one on Vince would be amazing. But the only reason why I think, well, two reasons why we, why we might never see it. One, they're making a movie on him anyway, a biopic on him regardless, so they might not do it for ESPN. And two, even if they did do one on Vince, mm-hmm. you know half the stuff he's going to say is going to be bullshit. Like, he's going to be <laughs> lying about half the stuff he you know, experienced in his life and stuff you won't talk about. And yeah. there are rumors that he was abused as a child and sexually abused and all this other shit, like, which is crazy, which you might not ever talk about. But um, it would be interesting nonetheless. One on Hogan would be cool. The Rock, like you said. Um, people like that would be awesome. But, yeah, as far as the Ric Flair one, well worth checking out. Like I said, if people didn't see it, um, it's it's definitely worth checking out twice, but for those of you know the people that have not seen it yet, I think it's available in full on ESPN's website. That's the place to check it out. It's pretty great. And I think real quick, I, you know what was also surprising about the documentary was not was not seeing Vince. I know we saw Hunter and, and Stephanie, but Vince was 
nowhere to be found, whether that's by choice or scheduling, uh, scheduling, but uh, Vince was not in the documentary. I, I, I thought maybe at least for one segment he would have been in it, but he, he wasn't there. Yeah, that was a bit weird. I mean, there were rumors that Rock denied to be a part of it, and that wasn't true. He might have just been busy or something. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that, that, well, I talk about The Rock when, when Vince wasn't a part of it. Like, he knew him very, very well for the many years he spent in WWE. So, like you said, it might have been a scheduling thing. Not really sure. It was cool to see Triple H in it, which was awesome. Of course. But obviously, they're very good friends. Um, but, yeah, no, it was weird that Vince was not a part of it. So, I'm not sure what the reason behind that was. Two more things uh, before I get you out of here, Grant. Real quick, uh, Jericho, Kenny Omega, Wrestle Kingdom 12. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like I know a lot about Kenny Omega. Uh, I think I've seen two matches. I, I'm not staying up to 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning to watch New Japan. But I guess a big thing was Jericho, Wrestle Kingdom, Kenny Omega. And, and, and again, people are, are thinking like Jericho is going to do something with them which ultimately leads Kenny Omega doing something with the company here. Uh, one, your reaction to, to, to this match, Jericho Omega, and do we see Kenny Omega in a WWE uh, sometime soon? I was very surprised, as many other people were. I mean, they had been building this bout up on social media for like months now. And I figured, not months, okay, maybe a few weeks. But I figured that it would lead to, I mean, it had to lead to something because, you know, it wasn't, they weren't just fighting back and forth because they hated each other. They did a freaking podcast together a few months ago. So they obviously are good friends, and Jericho thinks highly of them. So Jericho did tease it would lead to his match on his cruise. Uh, it would lead to a match on his cruise that's coming up next October. Which I'm like, okay, I'm not really sure if I buy that because he said before, like, with certain stuff that he does outside of wrestling, he wouldn't want to wrestle for anywhere but the WWE. He's, like, never done an indie show. And, like, he hasn't done an indie show in, like, 20 years. He hasn't worked anywhere but WWE in, like, 20 years. Right. I'm thinking, okay, that's not all that likely. And then he goes, he takes it an extra step further and wrestles for New Japan at the Wrestle Kingdom show, their WrestleMania, essentially, against Kenny Omega, which is unreal. Now, there's reports saying that he's under contract with WWE, which I don't believe. I don't think he is. The contract wrapped up in May. Um, so I don't think that's the case. That said, that this is a big dream match. And like you said, I'm the same exact way. I don't watch New Japan. I've hardly watched any of it in recent years. I watch a match here and there, like, and there was a match with some buzz like Okada and Omega from a few months ago that went like over an hour, then I'll watch that. Um, but beyond that, I don't keep up to date on the product. I know a lot about Kenny Omega from what I've heard about him, mm-hmm. and I know he's one of the best in the world right now, but I'll definitely be checking out the show, if only for this match. And the main event looks good, too. I think it's Okada and Naito, which I've heard should be pretty good, but mm-hmm. Jericho and Omega should be really, really good, and it won't be under the WWE umbrella, um, which is interesting. Like, Jericho's always worked for WWE, so... I don't, think I don't think there's any bad blood there between Jericho and WWE, but uh, especially if it's only a one-time thing. But the match should be really good. In terms of Omega's future, what's next for him, um, I think he signed with New Japan through the end of 2018. And he has always said that, uh, that wherever he goes, it's going to be a package deal with the Young Bucks. And I read like right hmm. before you called me that uh, he's 100% committed to New Japan. So take that for what it's worth. He teased he was going to the Rumble last year or earlier this year. Uh-huh. Obviously, didn't happen. I don't think it's going to happen to the Rumble this coming year. Um, but I do think he will end up in WWE eventually, whether it's in late 2018, early 2019, even in 2020. I think every current member of the Bullet Club, including Cody Rhodes, will be in WWE at some point in the next two or three years. 
And Graham, the final one I got for you, as I mentioned way earlier in the show, uh, today marks the 20th anniversary of the Montreal School Job at Survivor Series 1997. Bret Hart show, Michael. I'm pretty sure you know the story. You've seen the documentaries. You saw the whole thing on um on the network. But um, 20 years, man. I, I you know time flew by. You know, and I think that was an event where every fan you know, had to think twice of like, all right, what's really real, what's not? Because even to this day, Graham, people still feel like that's a work. People still feel like Brett was on, was in on it, Vince was in on it, obviously, Sean, everybody knew. And I'm like, if, if Brett Hart was really in on it, why would he continue to, I guess, quote-unquote, pretend he has a grudge against Sean, the company, against Vince for so long if it was a work. Um, I don't believe it was a work. I think it was real. I think it was le- uh, legit. Um, it definitely changed the course of the WWF and WCW at the time. Um, and also for the careers of Sean and Vince and Brett going forward. Not n- not so much a great pay-per-view. Uh, a, 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 it, it's monumental because of, of what happened. But I, again, that was one of the few days in wrestling where, you know, you saw behind the curtain and you knew what was going on. And they had that documentary afterward. I think Beyond the Mat, or, or, you know, on Brett. Uh, no, Wrestling with Shadows with Brett, and they showed Brett hitting. You know, not show, but they they said that he punched Vince in the face, and Sean denied, denied, denied until like 2011, until when 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 Brett got back or 2010. But um. A very interesting night if you're watching live because I know what the hell is going on. And then um, you see the Brett Screw Brett promo. And then, you know, did, then that developed the Mr. McMahon character. Brett, I, I guess, kind of, you know, whatever in WCW just was not the same. Sean had an injury a year later. I don't know if that's karma. But eventually they all made up. Brett uh, got in the Hall of Fame in 2005, had a match with Vince in 2010. At WrestleMania, him and Sean made up. I think that same year. And but overall, when people mention Survivor Series '97, they always mention the the Montreal School Job. And when they mention Brett, it's a school job. They mention Sean, it's a school job. They they go hand in hand, and you cannot mention Brett without Sean, and you can't mention Sean without Brett. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, I mean the pay per view itself was kind of sort of shit. If you look back on it, the match itself really wasn't even that good. They had way better matches before that, but it was the ending. Yeah. It was the, the screw job itself that really catapulted a lot of things. I mean, Bret Hart, one can argue, has not been the same since then. I mean, he, he felt betrayed by that, and rightfully so, after what happened. I mean, you, you just don't do business that way. And Sean, like you said, the injury ended his career a few months later, albeit for a few years. Um, but he was out for a while after the injury that he suffered at the onset of 1998. But, um, yeah, I mean, the fact that we're talking about it today, over 20 years later, 20 years later to the exact day, almost in the moment, is insane. Um, I mean, it, it's a pretty monumental moment in wrestling history, and rightfully so. It always will be. But it, it changed a lot of things in wrestling, not only with Brett and Sean. But I think one thing you forgot to mention, which is worth mentioning, is essentially the creation of the Vince McMahon character. Mm-hmm. I mean, coming out of that pay-per-view, he was the most hated man in wrestling. And they took that, and he ran with that as the Mr. McMahon character. And in my opinion, we have never before prior to that point and have never since, never again since, seen a character that hated a better heel 
than Vince and Kennedy McMahon on WWE TV. He played that role so well that no one has come close um, to topping it since. We've talked about it a million times, the freaking authority, and Eric Bischoff and Vicky Guerrero. There have been a lot of good heel authority figures over the years, but it felt fresh when Vince was running WWE yeah. as an on-screen character as a heel. Because at that time, we had never seen anything like that. And then Stone Cold kicked off his rebellious babyface run as, you know, the, the leader once Sean was gone and then once Bret Hart was gone. Um, so, yeah, it just catapulted a lot of things in wrestling. And that moment will never be forgotten. I mean, WWE will never let it go um, just because they repeat the finish every freaking opportunity they get. Yeah. So last nasty with Natalia and Charlotte, which annoys me beyond belief whenever they bring back the awful Montreal screwjob finish. We've seen it a million times. Mm-hmm. But as a moment... Montreal screw job itself will live on in infamy, uh, for better or for worse. But the fact we're talking about it 20 years later to the day uh, just really goes to show how iconic of a moment it really was in wrestling history. Graham, not even last, you know, not even last year. They they freaking did it the same finish the year after in '98 with the Rock and Mankind. It was like, yeah, man, you can't exactly. even like, like yep, yep, shit. Exactly. Like, They've done it so many times. I lost track. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, wow, you you really did the same thing a year later, and it's like, you know, Brett goes down to WCW, and I think he was there for two, three years. He got hurt with with the Goldberg uh, kick to the head concussion. Uh, Brett was never the same after that. Sean got injured with Taker at at, at the Rumble '98. Uh, McMahon blows up with the whole Mr. McMahon character with with, 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 with uh, Stone Cold. And I think what we, you know, we 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 both failed to 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 remember was the fact that, you know, that happened right. I I want to say at the beginning, but at the the baby stages of the Attitude Era, and you know, you having Stone Cold, The Rock. Um, you know, DX was just barely formed at the time. Mr. McMahon, the character, was not even there. Um, you know, you had Mankind and Kane and and, 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 and you know, Triple H, but it was right at the beginning of the Attitude Era where they needed to do something uh, to compete with WCW. And that happens, and it, 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 it just... It just made the WWF bigger than, than, than what it was because everybody was like, you know, was that really real or was that fake? And everybody wanted to know, did, did Vince McMahon really screw Brett? Did, did Sean knew, uh, know about it, even though we all knew he did? And years later, he finally, you know, confessed that, they, that it, it, you know, he was in on it. And overall, to, to, to see Brett uh, go back there on good terms for the Hall of Fame, um, you know, making up with Vince and, and Sean and just kind of putting, you know, putting that all behind him and everything. It, you know, it was great to see. I mean, the match with Vince was, was shit at WrestleMania uh, 26. <laughs> it was we all knew bad, that yeah. was going to happen, but um, and then I, I think Sean, Sean retired that, um, that night. So I guess everything comes, yeah. everything yeah. comes uh, full circle, but mm-hmm. an overall uh, monumental, uh, impactful night um, in in the in the sport but the one question I'll leave you with Graham is you know again we, we can just hindsight 2020 you know what if but what if Brett stayed with the WWF and you know beginning the attitude era you, you know to see him against Sean again Taker Stone Cold down, you know down the road maybe him and him and The Rock him and Kane Mankind like just all the matches he would have had um, 
with that roster, him and Hunter, Jericho, Kernango, we can go on and on. But what if Brett had stayed with the company? How do you think? How do you think Brett would have fared going into the new, um, you know, ninety nine two thousand roster that that they, that that they were having, as opposed to going to to WCW when they they did shit for him? Yeah, I mean, the WCW run was abysmal. I could not tell you one memorable match that he had in the two, three years that he was there. Um, <laughs> hard to say what if Bret Hart had stayed with WWE, how much would have changed. I mean, beyond the fantasy match that you just mentioned, Rock, him and Kane, him and Triple. Mm. Um, how much would have really been different? I don't think much would have changed, because I know Sean, obviously, he got hurt and he left couple months after, but it's not like, oh my God, we need a top star because Brett's gone. Who's going to fill a spot? Right. Um, the evidence that he was on his way up to the top of the card and Stone Cold, and not that same night, but he was already well on his way to becoming a top, a top star in the company. So um, I, it's not like they were scrambling for a top star. It's not like if John Cena got screwed over tomorrow and the same, if like the Montreal screw job happened in Survivor Series 2017 with John Cena, they'd be in some shit because they have no one to replace them right now. Mm. Um, whereas 20 years ago, you had the Rock and Stone Cold waiting in the wings. So I don't know if too much would have changed. I imagine he probably would have finished up his career there in the early 2000s. You know, to be quite honest, he probably would have retired around the same time that Stone Cold did, coming around for a part-time basis. Yeah, man. I, you know, you know, we could fantasy book all day, but I think the the momentum that he had going to WCW, and I think the moment you knew this ain't going to work, when the WCW took a month to debut Brett, and when they debuted Brett uh, Graham, they put him as a freaking referee at Starkey. And I'm like, what are you doing? You Terrible. have the hottest star right now, the hottest free agent in wrestling, you know, storyline and in real life, and you keep him on the shelf for a month, and when you put him out there to, hey, let's go play, you put him in a referee uh, position for, for Sting and Hogan, which is going to make 20 years next month. And I'm like, really? You, 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 you're going to keep Bret Hart out? At the same time, the uh, on the other side, they, they have Sean. They're doing, they're doing Stone Cold. They're doing Taker. They're doing all, 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 all kind of stuff. And, and you're going to keep Bret out for what? And I think from that moment on, it's like, all right, they may – there's no Vince McMahon. It was Bischoff and and, and and other people. They just did not know what to do with Brett. Or, you know, maybe Brett just didn't feel the same going down there. I mean, I think there's there's two sides to every story, but the bottom line is a very impactful night in wrestling. Uh, it, it definitely impacted the, the, the wrestling careers of Brett, Vince, Sean, and a whole lot of other people. Um WCW is no longer around. Uh, the, uh, the the WWE is, is still around, but um, I guess it's, it's one one of those matches that you just want to watch just to see how it, how it ends. <laughs> no, exactly. Not for I the remember watching match. the pay per view, and it friggin' sucked. It was not a good match at all. I mean, the whole pay per view was awful. But I did want to watch the show to see how it ended, and I had never seen it before a few years ago, thanks to the WWE Network. But, um, yeah, it's a match that people need to check out if they haven't already seen it. I mean, I don't know what they're doing. They're living under a rock at this yeah. point. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a match you need to see the ending to because even 20 years later, like I said, it still lives on an in infamy in WWE history. 
real quick, the funny, the funny, th- the funniest part of that was if you go back and you see it, and then Sean, <laughs> Sean tries to pretend like he he he's upset, and then he's walking down the aisle, and then I think Briscoe tells him to like kind of jump in the air and celebrate, and then Sean jumps twice, shows the belt, and then goes back. <laughs> like it was nothing. Yeah, like the whole nothing. thing is just weird. Especially, I mean, even even though you know what's going to happen when you watch it twenty years later, mm-hmm. it's an incredible how quickly it goes off the air. Like literally, no more than sixty seconds after the match ends, they go off the air, and Jim Ross is frantically counting down, and, and he closes out the show. It's just bizarre. Um, it's just you know, even though you know what's going to happen, it's just amazing to watch just to see. Yeah. It really was real. Anyone who thinks it's a work is freaking kidding themselves. Even all these years later, there's still people who think it was a work, which are just it just amazes me that people are that dumb. But um, yeah, you have to watch it back. It's just really surreal to watch. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing how like you know when 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 people when people mention WrestleMania, they they always automatically think of Hogan Andre. Now when people mention Survivor Series. It's 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 Montreal, and 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 that's what it is. Oh, it's Survivor Series, yeah, Montreal, yeah, Brett and Sean, and 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 that's the stigma. Montreal it, it will be forever tag team with Survivor Series, like like Hogan Andre is to WrestleMania. But um, Graham, always, always a pleasure as well. Oh, Graham, always a pleasure, man. You're on Twitter at Russell Rant, uh, Russell Rant Radio, featured uh, columnist for the WWE on Bleacher Report. Uh, go check him out. Next week, we'll do the Survivor Series preview as well as NXT War Games. Uh, Again, man, thank you, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Randy. Always appreciate having me on. I'll catch you on the road, brother. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, you too. Adios. All right.